death would not be evil. So, so <clears throat> evil is parasitical on the good. Um, a lie is bad only because the truth is good. And, and so what we do, and, and this is, I would never say this to someone who's suffering, but I think about this, and by the way, I, I screw this up constantly, but I'm like, but one of my thoughts on this is that when things go wrong, we are furious with God. How could you do this? When things are right, we could care less. And God has no business being a part of my life, and how dare he ask me to go to church or to live a moral life. And I, I sometimes think God, because he loves us, and we go, he did, he did it. He went to the depths of suffering and hell itself to, sh to save us, to love us. Um, sometimes we need to be humbled a little bit to realize that. And that's actually part of salvation. Part of salvation, right, like, I, I think of my brother, and any bachelor, when you're a bachelor, there's nothing wrong being a bachelor. And they're, you know, you're not generally living in a moral life, hopefully, but like, you're just living life. And when you have, get married and have kids, you lose your life. And in a certain sense, you lose everything. And losing those things is part of your salvation. My brother will always say this. He's like, when I had kids, my wife and I lost our lives. And nothing has ever happened that has been better in my life. Yeah. On that subject, like, when you're kind of talking about how suffering can be kind of good in a yep. way, with like truth and stuff like marriage, suffering in a way of giving up your life to others, like, can you expand on that a little bit more? Like, uh, the concept of suffering being kind of good for us? You touched on it yep. a little bit with like suffering like with Christ, but yeah. more about. So suffering, can suffering be good? So this is, it's tricky. Suffering in itself is never good. Right? Christians don't believe God never wills evil. He never wills your suffering. But in a, in a, in a world that has been affected by the fall, it's part of life. And here's, here's the bigger thing, I think, and this is central to being a Christian, is that after Adam and Eve fell, and there's... Original sin, right? Original sin means my soul is disordered. My, my intellect is darkened. My will is weakened. My passions are disordered. After the fall, what we all think, right? And everybody thinks it, so do I. I think it all the time still after like freaking 20 years of trying to be a good Catholic. I still think this. Is I think if I have more stuff for Brian, then I'll be happy. Right? <clears throat> Once I am finally 100% comfortable all the time, then I'll be happy, right? And the world tells us that. And so what this goes back to is the central mystery of all Christianity, which Trevor will never let me live down, that I didn't teach Trinity in this class. So Trevor, here you go. Um, so the Trinity, right? You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This isn't just in this world. What's happened from all eternity is that God the Father, right, pours himself eternally into the Son. 
Everything he has, everything he is. He gives everything to the Son. The Son, I should have drawn this a different way, but um, in fact, let's do that. Um, let's do it this way. So the Father and the Son, the Father pours everything he has into the Son. Everything, right? And those of you who are in romantic relationships, if you're married, if you're engaged, whatever it might be, right? This is the desire of our hearts. It's like we want to love someone so much that we don't just give them a little bit of our heart, but we give them everything. So the Father loves the Son. He gives everything he has to the Son. The Son gives everything he has to the Father. Right? He receives the love of the Father. It is total, it's not partial, it is everything and it's complete. The Son loves the Father in return. He says, how can I do anything but give you my entire life back? So the Son loves the Father with everything he has, everything he is. The love between the Father and the Son is so powerful, is so real, that the love between them has a name. And the love between the Father and the Son is the Holy Spirit. All of redemption, everything it means to be redeemed, is to be drawn into this. Everything. And my whole life, all I ever think, and it's so stupid, but I'll think it until the day I die, is I will think I will finally be happy when I just have everything coming to me. And what the Trinity says, and this ties to suffering, the Trinity is meant to teach us that happiness is not about receiving. Of course that's good, right? Of course, like, a child should be raised in a home where they know their love. That's a really important thing. It's, it's really important for a happy life. Receiving is part of this. But if you want to find life, you have to lose your life. And I will say this over and over as long as I live. The, and I have to learn this in my own life, is that... I am upset when I stub my toe or I had to write a $3,300 check to the IRS last week because they don't know how to deal with, with priests. And I'm like, oh, right? And I'm like, happiness would be if I still had that three grand in my checking account. No, it's not. My brother will always say this, and I guarantee every one of you in this room has experienced this, is that the happiest moments in your life are when you have given yourself away to someone you and sometimes that means in a broken world, in heaven it won't be this way. When we get to heaven, we'll give ourselves totally, and there won't be any suffering. But because of sin in the world, what we have to learn is that happiness is not having everything you want. And even as, as and I mean this, as these are heavy topics, as serious as the great sufferings in this world are, and there are awful sufferings, um, the real essence of a human life is not things going well. It's what this is, and what this is, is love. Yeah? Um, this is on a bit of a different topic. So, hopefully I'm lucky enough to go to heaven one day. Mm-hmm. Will, let's say one of my loved ones doesn't, will I know that, and how... 
Okay, I'm going to kill every one of you for asking <laughs> the hardest questions of all of Christianity on the last night of RCIA, yeah, yeah. but we haven't covered the last quarter of the catechism. One more This is a really hard question. So, so will we know, so in heaven, if someone we love isn't in heaven, how can we be happy if they're not? This is a very difficult question. Different people have given different answers. My favorite saint gives an answer that I really disagree with. So, St. Augustine, who is way smarter than me, but it's okay to still disagree with people who are way smarter and holier than you, you can disagree with them. St. Augustine says that we will rejoice because of God's perfect justice and truth. I don't, does this mean this is not the Catholic Church? I don't buy that. I just don't. Um... <clears throat> I don't know. I, this, is, this is one of those questions I don't have an answer to. So I, I think I've said this in RCIA before. I am sure I am a heretic probably for 10 reasons. Um, if there's one that's more obvious than the others, this is the reason I'm a heretic. As I have great hope, and the, the, the church, we're in class of heresy. <laughs> so my tendency, um, so there's a, there's a thing in the church called universalism. The church has condemned it as a heresy. So, but it depends on what you mean by it. So, oh, I shouldn't open this. It's your fault. Universalism is the belief that all people will be saved in the end. I, you can't hold that as a Catholic. And so I don't. Because I submit to the church because I'm not God. Um, but I'm pretty close. And, and not that I would say, I would never say I know. Because no one knows. The only person who knows is God. So, remember when we talked about I-25? Like, can you get across I-25? Can you get to heaven if you run across the street? Is it possible? Yeah. yeah, it is possible. Is it likely? No. And so what you'd say is to take the bridge. So, I don't know, I'm not God. Hell is real. The church teaches that. Hell is absolutely real. And even Balthazar, who's accused of this, he's very clear about this. He's like, hell is real, and every one of us has to live our lives as if our decisions are of the eternal importance. And I believe that, 100%. Um, but I guess, without going too deep into it, the basic, the basic argument against what Augustine says is... God wins. And I could cite 15 New Testament passages about this. But at the end of the day, we don't know. And what we have to do is we do know a couple things. We know God is perfect love. So I have fears about this in my life with people who I love. I fear about my own soul. About, will I make it to heaven? Jesus, I hope I do. Um, but I also know that God cares about my own salvation more than I do. I know he cares more about the people I love more than I do. And somehow, I have to trust in him. And, gosh, this is, we give a semester class on this question. <clears throat> Hope for the best and live like it matters. So, this is a good transition. 
Um, my life is like, I don't know the answer to that question. And so I will spend the rest of my life trying to bring people to the Catholic faith. That's it. And at the end of the day, I'm like, nothing else really matters. I'm like, there are other great things you can do that are noble in life, of course. But I'm like, this is, this is how I will spend the rest of my life. And I just hope you guys will join me. Because I do think it matters. And whether, who knows, I don't know how many people go to heaven. I don't. I'm not God. Um, I have a hope, I have a confidence, I guess, that like, God wins. But I, you know, I'm a human being, so I don't know. So anyway, I go on forever. I, I don't know the answer to that question fully, but I know in the end that God is true and good and merciful and a, a, infinitely better than I am. And somehow I know that in his goodness, all things will be as they should be. Lame answer, but that's all I got. Okay, one more. I gotta, we gotta get to prayer. I was gonna ask about prayer. Okay, skip that one. I have so many questions that it's tomorrow. Okay, anybody wanna ask one last question? Okay. Okay, so we have 45 minutes for one quarter of the catechism. <laughs> um, well, we, t we talked about it last week. We have we have we have wine and beer afterwards. Okay. And diapers. I'm not even gonna make a joke about that. Okay. Um, so prayer. So last week we talked about the Our Father. So here we go, really quickly. So that there are different types of prayer. There are there is the rosary. There are formal prayers. The Our Father is a formal prayer. And we've talked in class, and the Mass is our highest prayer. There are prayers where you can learn to use the church's words and make them your own. But it's important that you embrace them and make them your own. But I want to talk to you about something deeper that all the saints talk about. So I want to talk to you briefly about contemplation. So, <clears throat> um, contemplation, what do you think that word means? If you hear that word and someone says, hey, you should be contemplative, what does that word mean? Good, thank you. That's the answer I wanted you to give. Thank you. Because that's what everyone thinks it is. It's wrong. And, but I love what you said. So, so, um, so when I think of the word contemplative, there's that statue, Patrick and I talk about it sometimes. There's the statue of the guy going, and he's thinking, right? Is it called the thinker? So there you go. Um, that's what we think in contemplation is. It's not. And this is what St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, um, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, what, it, what many of them will say is that this is what heaven is, is contemplation. And part of being a Christian, and this is part of prayer, is contemplation breaking into your life right now. So what contemplation means is to see. So in the New Testament... There's different words to see. We're not going to talk about all of them because we're short on time. Blepo is one word in Greek. Blepo is a normal word to see. When I say I see uh, the statue of St. Anthony holding the child Jesus in the back, 
That's the normal word, that, the way we use it. But the New Testament has other words. There's, there's ones that we're not going to go into, like horao, um, but the one I'm talking about is theoreo. Whoops, not in Greek, English. Um, theoreo. So theoreo, when it's translated from Greek into Latin, theoreo is translated as contemplatio. And here's what it means. So um, we use this all the time. So quick story. This is not from the New Testament. This is from Plato. So Plato tells a story um, about a philosopher named Thales. And Thales, and he's, and he's going to talk about the point that I want to make for you right now. Thales is walking one night in the Greek city of Thrace. He's walking, and it's a perfect clear night. And I just want you to think about this with me. If you've ever been on this like perfect, clear, starry night, and you've been away from Denver, you've been away from the city, and you look up into the night sky and there's a billion stars. By the way, I think the number one reason people don't believe in God anymore is because of artificial light. And I'm dead serious. I actually think that's why people don't believe in God. It's because when you, when you make the heavens invisible, we think that we're all there is. Um, but anyway, so Thales is walking, and there's a perfect night sky. And I bet you've been there in your life, I have, where you look up into the heavens, and it seems like all the things you're concerned about just fall away. And he's walking, and what uh, Plato tells us is that Thales experiences what we would call ecstasy. That's the Greek word. And so ecstasy is a Greek word. In the ancient world, it does not mean a drug. Um, what it means, so ek is the word out of. And stasis means to stand. And so what ecstasy means is to stand outside of yourself. And so in my life, I can't tell you I need this so desperately, is that my life is so busy. I have so much to do. I have so many emails. I have anxieties about our finances. I have anxieties about two new priests and a brand new church to take over. And blah, 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 on and on and on. And what begins to happen is your whole life becomes about these things. And in fact, one more thing Plato says before we get back to ecstasy. Plato says that when he talks about feast days, he says that the gods, right, Plato lives before Christianity exists. He's a pagan. And he says the gods, it's very related to the story about Thales, the gods gave human beings feast days, he says, so they might stand upright. 
And the first time I read that, I was like, why does anybody read this crap? Right? That's weird. What he means by that, did we talk about this? No. What he means by that is, if you look at a four-legged animal, right, they never, they don't look up. They, they're always looking down. And for Plato, that's an analogy, it's an image of a, of a person who never looks at spiritual things. And so if my life, not evil things, but just my whole life is like, I've got 137 emails, I have to pay $3,300 to the United States government, right? Um, I need to do laundry, my gas is low, I have to balance a budget. None of those things are evil. But they're here. And so Plato says the gods gave to men feast days so they could forget about what is earthly and they could stare into the heavens. And for Plato, what that means is not just I'm looking at the stars. For Plato, what that means is that what makes you different from an animal is you have a soul that's capable of saying, what is me? And what, is, what does it mean that something can be true? What is, what is beauty? What is goodness? And I, don't, I bet you've had this in your life. I have days where I literally drive away from Lourdes, and I love this place with all my heart. But there's days where I drive away, and I go to the foothills, and I go for a walk at Watson Canyon, and I forget about my emails, and my finance council, and my laundry. And I feel like a human being again. What I do is I see. But I don't see it in merely a physical way. Joseph Pieper, who is one of the greatest philosophers in the 20th century, in my mind, he is my favorite philosopher, in fact. Joseph Pieper, who is a devout Catholic, says, he says, the definition of contemplation is to see with love. I'm going to be our CIA if I didn't get emotional. <laughs> and Pieper says if you don't do that, you will live a life that is something less than human. And I bet you know that's true. This is what I also like to call a midlife crisis. Pardon my French, but you work your ass off. You work longer hours than you should. You give your life away. And one day you wake up and you ask yourself, why the hell am I doing this? Plato, again, not a Christian, not a Jew, Plato says, and he's, he's talking, going back to Theodos. He says, animals, what makes you different from an animal, is not the opposable thumb. It's that your soul will never be human if you do not experience Patrick's three favorite words, truth, 
Right, like, any, there's so, I, uh, uh, I wish we had like 10 classes, but this is so powerful. Um, art, why do human beings have art? It's beautiful. It's worthless. I mean, right, there's, yeah, you could sell for a bunch of money. But like, but in terms of practicality, art is worthless. Communism, by the way, one of the signs of communism does not understand the dignity and the value of a human soul. Communism sees art as a bourgeois um, add-on that is completely worthless. Because it doesn't understand the human soul. There's a communism, famously, when you build communist buildings, you build them as basic as you can and as ugly as you can, because the goal is just to have more stuff. Plato says, and, I, and again, I bet you've had this. There are moments in your life where we can touch things that are true, good, and beautiful, and you would trade everything you have for those. Okay, so what happens with Thales, so Thales is walking, and there's a perfect night sky. And he's in ecstasy, so ecstasy means ek is out of stasis is to stand. Ecstasy means a moment where you are you stand outside of yourself. And so ecstasy is when there's something so powerful that you forget yourself. When you love, like when you when parents see their newborn baby. When Patrick and Steph have their baby, when little Gianni Gianna is born, they'll forget everything else. I promise you they will have a moment of ecstasy. And, right, those are the best moments of all of life. The reason that they are the best moments of life is because you're not an animal. You're a human being with a soul, with a rational soul. Okay, so Thales is walking, and he's staring up into the heavens, and he's so in, he's in such ecstasy that he's not paying attention to what's in front of him, and he falls into a well. And there's a young woman there, who just ridicules him and says, she says, Thales, you philosophers, you always have your heads in the heavens. And Plato says, amen. And his point is that to be a philosopher, and we're going to bring this back to contemplation, to be a person who has contemplation means the world will not understand. Because if you are a person who your whole life is only about this, you'll never understand a person who has their heads in the heavens. And for Plato, the heavens do not just mean the stars. The heavens, right, mean this. They mean thinking about and being immersed and lost in what does it mean to love. And what does it mean that there is such a thing as love? Okay, so contemplation is about these things. So the deepest form of prayer, so this is taken from the Greek world, and it's brought into the Christian world in the New Testament.
So what most people do when they pray, in my experience, but I, I'm very confident in this, what most of us do, people say, Father Brian, I pray all the time. And they do. And what, but what they usually mean by that is they say, God, my cousin is sick, and I've got an interview next week, and um, my sister-in-law has this, and they ask God for things. That's a legitimate form of prayer. It's totally legitimate. We call it petitionary prayer. Asking for something. Nothing wrong with that. You should do it. You should absolutely do it. I do it all the time. Do it every day. It's not the deepest form of prayer. Contemplation is the deepest form of prayer. So what most of us do in our prayer time is we say, God, here's me. And what we do is we ask God, we try to bring God into my life. That's a really good thing. And you should absolutely do that because God cares about you. He loves you. He loves you more than you can know. And you should be like, you know, God, like, I'm really heartbroken right now. I don't understand where my future is at. Would you come into my life and would you bring me your light and truth? That's great. That's a beautiful prayer. But a deeper form of prayer, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, God knows everything. He knows what you want before you ask him. He knows everything you need. He knows everything you want. He knows everything. Still do it. I do. But a better form of prayer is when you lose your life in his. It's Thales who isn't trying to get the stars into his head. He's trying to get himself into the heavens. That's contemplative prayer. So what does that mean practically? So the great saints, when they pray, they've learned, and I bet you've done this before. It's kind of common sense. I'm just going to give you a few pointers here that can help you. This is not easy. The only way to do this is not to take a class. It's not to read a book, although I will recommend books. The best way to do this is just to do it. So contemplative prayer means learning to see with And so Christianity is not about, God, my life was supposed to be perfect. What the hell? Where are you? Why am I sick? Why is my hair falling out? Why have I put on 10 Priestly pounds? Um, blah, 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 blah. Why does the government take all my money? <laughs> right? Fine. Fine. Whatever. Better prayer is to lose yourself in the life of The whole Christian life is not about God being drawn into your life. Remember, N.T. Wright says, we have made it to like, here's me and I'm the earth. And we've made Christianity about the sun going around the earth. And N.T. Wright says, you really want to be a Christian? You have to learn that you're not the center of the universe. But God is the center. And you right, are the one who is meant to go around him. So how do you do this? It's very simple, and it's difficult. 
So a couple steps. Um, and I, Steph, will you remind me? I'll email everyone this. I will email you a handout with all this on it. I couldn't find it, sorry, I was looking for it. Um, so a couple of steps that help. Um, and let me, before we get to the actual prayer part, here's one more tip. If you do not have silence in your life in general, you will never pray. If you do not have silence in your life in general, you will never pray. If you do not have silence in your life, I promise you, you will never pray. Um, a prayerful soul is not a soul that has every voice in our current culture speaking to it all the time. So you know when you go to Mass, I know you do this, you go to Mass and you go to kneel down and like get ready for Mass and you've got some songs stuck in your head? Or you've got like, and by the way, it happens to me all the time, <coughs> or you go to Mass and you're like, you're like kneeling down, you're like, oh God, prepare me for Mass. I want to be united to you. And like, Oh, I forgot to get butter at the store. <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, man, why does my husband do that? Right? And like, this is what happens. And people come to me all the time, like, Father Brian, this, when I pray, like, that happens. And I'm like, uh huh. I'm like, welcome to being a human being. It happens to every one of us. But it's the only way to fight that is slowly, persistently, and it's to learn to have some silence in your life. When you're driving to Mass, turn off the radio in your car. Every day, even if it's a very short amount of time, right? If you have Fox News or CNN or whatever other news source, if that's always going and you wonder why your soul is filled and hard, it's hard for them to be quiet, I've got a hint for you. You can't have silence in your soul if there's always noise in your life. It, it is impossible. Okay, so turn off the radio in your car. What you should do every day, or three days a week, wherever you decide, you should have 10 minutes, and I would recommend you start with 10, unless you're already past that. But if you haven't started this, start with 10 minutes a day. Your phone is on a countertop over there. I had to do this in my life. I've been practicing prayer for over 20 years, and I, had, I don't have a watch, and so I have my cell phone with me, and I would use it to check time, but I found that I wasn't using it just to check time. Do you know what I did? I put my phone somewhere else. And it's gonna be hard at first, guess what? You'll get over it, right? Like, just like anything else, habits. When I first gave, when I was in high school, my cross country coach told me I had to stop drinking soda. And the first month of my life, I like contemplated murdering him every day, right? And I have not drinking a soda except in a mixed drink sense. And I find them quite repulsive now. You gotta stick with it. It's the only way to do any habit. Okay, so what do you do? So when you go, here's what I do every single day. I have a daily hour of silence every morning at 6.30. If you try to do that at the start, I, it's gonna be too hard. It took me a number of years to build up to that. So what do you do? When you go to prayer, number one, presence of God. 
So when you go to your prayer time, and what you should do is you have a space in your house, in your apartment, where the only thing you ever do in that space is pray. So if people do this, they'll have like a little rug, they'll have a chair, they'll have somewhere that has a, a crucifix or an image of a saint, something there, and when they go to that space, they pray. I am blessed as a priest, I get to have a chapel in my house, I have the Eucharist there, it's amazing. Go be a priest. Um, but find a place in your house. Do something like that. Okay. And then you realize that you are in the presence of God. And this, this is so critical. Oh, we, should, we should do this again sometime. But you have to realize when you, when you kneel down, you don't imagine you're in God's presence. You realize you are in God's presence. This step, when I skip this, my prayer time doesn't go very well. Because if I skip that, I'm thinking about God instead of being with God. The goal of a time of prayer is not to know more about God. It's to be with him and it's to let him know, let him tell you how much he loves you and for you to lose yourself in him. Super simple. This will change the way you pray. If you just spend one minute or 30 seconds, I have a little prayer branch. I get down on my knees and I realize that God is here. Okay. Second thing, ask for help. Twenty years I've been doing this, and I, it's such a good thing to just say, Jesus, I suck at this. I'm not good at praying. People think I am because I'm a priest. I'm not good at this. I am distracted. I'm going to kneel down and think about how I didn't do my house job at the companion's house, and I'm not prepared for RCIA, and what am I going to preach about this Sunday, and I'm going to be distracted. Jesus, would you help me? Right, super, not rocket science, super simple. Really helpful. I have thought that, but I, I honestly, Michelle, I'm like, so you just got to remember God is infinite. Okay. Right? He is infinite. And so my mother used to say that to me when I was learning all these things. She would say, like, oh, Brian, God's too busy to worry about me. And I'm like, I understand the thought, but God is infinite. Right? It's not like there's 20 lines and he can handle 20. When he hit 21, it's like, sorry, overload. That's not, that's not God. God is infinite. And so he can be present to all things in an infinite way at once. So don't have fear about that. You are not a burden on God, right? Like, you're not. You're not a burden on him. You are a joy to him. And he loves it when his children pray to him. Okay, so ask for help. 
Um, so number three, what you do then is, is this, you prepare the meditation. So how, how would I say this? You, um, I'll just say prepare the place. So we'll do this in a minute just to, to do a brief practice of this, and we'll do a very abbreviated version. But here's what I mean by this. You can meditate on just about anything. And what I mean by this is, so like, let's say if, if today were an Easter season, so today I'm going to meditate on the moment Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So what I'm going to do there is I'm going to imagine myself at the empty tomb of Christ. And <clears throat> the way I usually pray this one, but there's different ways you could do it, um, is I imagine that I'm sitting in a dark tomb and there's nothing there except me and a corpse. And that the longer that you can, and what's hard, here's what's going to happen when you start doing this. You're like, okay, I'm in the tomb. There's the body of Jesus. He's just dead. And then you'd be like, I forgot butter at the store. And seriously, that's what will happen. That's okay. That's what that makes you. Human. And so what you do is you gently turn your mind back. And you say, I'll think about that later. Right now, I'm just going to be with Jesus. So with the meditation, you want to use your senses and your imagination. So I'm in the tomb. And right now, as, as I'm just thinking of this, it's like, there is an intense darkness. Or any kind of darkness that you feel. And you need to sit there for a minute. And when you first do this, right, the, again, I, I know this is what's going to happen because it happens to everybody, is you'll feel that darkness and then you'll be like, I forgot butter. And your mind will go a thousand different ways. That's okay. The more you do this, the more custom you'll get, the easier it'll, it'll become. So you sit there and you just let that darkness surround you. You feel the sorrow. You feel maybe, maybe through your mind goes like, what if this was it? What if this is the end of the story? And then for me, the way I do this meditation on the resurrection is I just imagine Jesus is laying flat. And ask yourself questions. Is it, what's the temperature inside that tomb? Like for me, it has to be cold. It has to be absolutely frigid. And even though it's dark, you know, in your imagination, you can do two things at once. 
even though it's dark, the, the, there's limestone. The stone is white. Jesus is laying on a flat surface. He's wrapped in burial cloths. Sorry. And then I watch as Jesus' chest takes in the first breath. I just watch. And your mind might take you to places, is there, is there an explosion of light? Does his body rise off the stone? I don't know. That's for your prayer. But when I pray this, I just sit there and I know that's the moment my sins were forgiven. And the world was made new. Death was conquered. You could do that now. The first time you do this, sorry, some of you will get an RCA teacher who's less emotional. <laughs> the first time you do this, that will take you about 30 seconds to a minute. As you learn how to be silent and how to be less distracted, you'll sit there and you'll wonder how an hour passed. And I'm quite serious about that. So then from there, there's lots of places that you can go. But St. Francis de Sales would tell us, or St. Ignatius, that there's a conversation. And by the way, I don't know if you feel this right now. I feel this. Remember Thales with his head lost in the heavens? That literally just happened for me. Right? Who cares if I get a crappy homily on Sunday? Or if I don't answer all my emails? When I think about these things, I feel like a human being again. And I'm able to concentrate on things that actually matter. This is contemplation. Okay, so conversation. Maybe your heart at that moment is so overwhelmed with joy. <laughs> I don't know that you just praise God. Jesus, all those concerns, all the sufferings of the world, the awful things that happen. Jesus, I praise you that they were destroyed the moment you took your first breath. Maybe in your meditation there's angels. Maybe you just feel the joy of the angels as they watch God conquer sin and death. But you can talk to Jesus and you can say, Lord, I love you. Words can't express what you did for me. Jesus, someday, Lord, may I, may I share that first breath. 
May I share your victory? May I share your resurrection? Amazing stuff. You can talk forever. You can ask him questions. Lord, what was it like? What, what was going through your mind and your heart? Lord, what do I not see? What are the things in my life that I'm so blind to, that I'm so distracted by what I deserve or what I don't have or what's going on that I don't see the things that actually matter? Lord, what are those things? Will you tell me? And so remember, like, when you pray, the goal of prayer is not to get things. The goal of prayer is to love. And literally at the end of that, just, just talking to you about this, I feel like I love God more just thinking about it. And so in, in meditation and contemplation, what happens is I'm not trying to get God to fix my problems. He knows everything I need before I ask. What I want to do is I want to lose my life in him. So last two last pieces. Um, so number five would be Thanksgiving. And by the way, this can go as long or as short. I think it's hard to really do this in five minutes. But, you, but it's good to try. If that's where you're at, start there. Start with five minutes. That's great. It's wonderful. Do it. Do it consistently. The biggest problem, number one problem people have with prayer is that they just don't do it. That's what happens. People, people don't give up our prayer. It's like, you know, Father Brian, I just didn't understand step three. Just don't get it. No one ever says that to me. What they say is people come and meet with me, and I'm like, hey, have you been praying? And they're like, yeah, it's been really busy. Yeah. And the only reason people don't grow in this, the only reason, I promise you, the only reason is because they just don't do it. If you do this, I promise you, you'll get very good at it. You just got to stick with it. Okay. Thanksgiving to God. You say, Lord, and I just do this right now. Jesus, I just really want to pray this. I am grateful just in this moment for your resurrection. And everything else in my life, if it doesn't go well, if it does, whatever else may come, Lord, thank you for that moment, that just brief moment of prayer. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be with you. People of gratitude are the best people on earth. Right? The worst people to be around are people who are bitter about everything and think the world owes them more. The best people in life are people who are grateful. And if you're just, if you spend 10 minutes every morning doing this, you'll be a better person, I promise. You'll be a happier person. You'll be a more content person. Last piece is a resolution. So St. Francis de Sales says that one of the problems with prayer so sometimes we can think because we've thought about really holy things and prayed about really holy things, that all of a sudden we think we are holy. And then we go to work and we're a complete jerk. <laughs> um, so, St. Francis Sales says, when you finish, and we need to do, we need to do two last things. I'm sorry, we're going to be a little late tonight, but five minutes, just five minutes over. Um, resolution. So, maybe like you finish your prayer time, you're like, oh my goodness. I've been struggling with this person at work who just annoys me. And they always, like, for whatever reason, they just get under my skin. And you just finished this beautiful meditation on the resurrection. 
And all you do, if you're anything like me, is you just complain about the things that aren't right. And so at the end of your prayer time, you say to God, you know what, Lord? Today, I'm going to choose to love that person better than I normally do. I'm going to choose to be kind to them when I feel like I don't want to be. That's a really good thing. And last, last prayer step, actually, is spiritual bouquet. He actually puts this before Thanksgiving. Um, St. Francis de Sales does. Spiritual bouquet, I love this. So what he says, and I, use, I feel like in our time you can't help but hear that without what he says. It's like the sound of music. Sermon sound of music in the opening scene, and Julie Andrews is like, Right. Um, so this is in the uh, I think he writes late 16th or early 17th century St. Francis Sale says here's the Bishop of Geneva, Switzerland so it feels like the sound of music right? and he says if you were a person imagine you were someone living and uh, in the morning you went for a hike and you went up to a high mountain meadow and it was filled with these gorgeous flowers and you were, your heart was just and joyful and you knew though at the end of that time that you had to go back to the town and go back to work he says any person who's sensible what they would do is the most natural thing on earth is they would pick up a couple of flowers and they would just tuck them in their pocket he says um, so St. Francis of Sales says your prayer is like that if you spent the morning and you meditated for 20 minutes on the resurrection, it was like being in a field of flowers. And all the problems of your life, and all your anxieties, and all your fears, you forgot about them. And what if on your way out of that meadow, you picked a couple flowers? And you just put them right there. And then in the middle of your day, when that person who annoys the crap out of you, or you're scared about something you have to do that you're nervous about, what if at that moment you just pulled out one image from your prayer time, and it's as if you were back in that meadow again? I don't do that enough, and when I do, I am a better priest. A better man. Okay, super powerful stuff. This is, there are other forms of prayer. You will pick them up last thing tonight, because um, we're out of time. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, Nigel. If you pray sitting in a hot tub, or do you have to be on your knees in an uncomfortable stone place? You can pray in a hot tub. You understand my, I do. my question. You have to be, so you... In fact, your body, right? Your body and your soul are one, come together into one thing, which is Nigel. And so you are not a soul with a body. You're not a body with a soul. You are Nigel, which is those two things put together. So our body posture really matters. So it's actually really important that you find the posture that is appropriate. And so sometimes it might be different things, by the way. Usually in my prayer time, I have this little prayer bench where I'm kneeling, but I'm also sitting. And it's comfortable enough where I don't think about how uncomfortable I am. And it's uncomfortable enough that I don't fall asleep. 
Some people like to sit in a chair. If I sit in a chair every morning at 6.30, I'm going to fall asleep. That's just what's going to happen. Um, St. John of the Cross used to lie in front of the tabernacle on the floor in the shape of a cross. You can stand when you pray. You can walk when you pray. There are tons of different ways, but I would encourage you, your posture matters. Um, and so learning how to be in a place where your body, and one, one more thing, your breathing when you first start, if you just take a couple deep, deep breaths, it helps you to kind of calm down and to center yourself. So I don't know, does that answer it? Okay, yes. Can I ask one more question going back to petitioning prayers? Yes. So I was, I was thinking about this prior to this class, like what are we actually doing in the moments, especially when we say we'll pray for someone else? So like someone, like coworkers, small yep. child, yeah. Like, what are we actually saying? Because it's like God stands above time, already knows something's going to take out. It's like, what's the actual, like, what are we asking for? Like, so God, yeah. On our side? So when we, when we, doesn't God know everything when we ask for God for things? That doesn't seem weird, contradictory. So here's the huge question. Quick answer is that God has willed that certain things in the universe should happen when we intercede for each other. So, God knows everything, but Moses is going to intercede for the people of Israel in Exodus 33 and 34, for instance. And did God change his mind? God is eternal. But what God has willed is that he loves when we love each other. He loves it when we love each other, and he wants us to love each other. And so our prayer actually can be effective. It really can. And Jesus does this all over the New Testament. He encourages us to pray for each other. St. Paul does it. Moses does it. Um, God knows all things. Now, I do think at a certain level in our life, we're called to just surrender and trust. But that doesn't mean we can't pray for other people. Um, so, um, I'm trying to give a good example, but um, my when I use it with Alicia today, is like, my brother... Mm -hmm loves it when his children love each other, right? And there's something about God doesn't want us just to love him. He wants us to love each other. And one of the ways we grow in love for each other is by concretely praying for each other. Isn't there kind of a risk in that, though? Because, like, it's like, if I just pray hard enough, then, like, yeah, you know, my aunt won't die of cancer. Or something. There is a risk, yep. That's not really how it works, ultimately. Yeah, and so ultimately, this isn't just manipulation of God, right? We're not just praying to say, Okay, God, I didn't get that promotion. I know there's a guy I was in seminary with who one time, he literally told me, he said, he was like, you know, Larkin, I was praying to God, and I told him that I'm open to him giving me a car. <laughs> and you know what? He got a car that week. That was really weird. <laughs> Somebody gave him a car that week. And there's something beautiful about that. Like, but, but it's not manipulation. That's, that's, a, that's a critical thing. Um, I don't know that I have a perfect answer to iron this out right now, but let's look at the catechism on that. But the church is emphatic that our prayer and intercession does matter. So let me, let me look at that and give you a better answer. Okay, we're out of time. Let me one last thing. Um, oh, it's like the birds are flying the nest. Um, there's so much more, of course. There's a million things more. We want you to join small groups. Steph emailed about that. We hope that you guys will have relationships. Three things you need. If you're going to be a good Catholic, three things. 
I'm assuming other things, by the way, like you will go to Mass every Sunday. You will go to confession regularly. You will, you will live the Christian life. But three things you need, you want to live a uh, like healthy Catholic life, not just on the surface, three things you need. You need real Christian friendships. It's hard to be a Christian. If you do it on your own, I promise you, you will fail. You need real friendships. Oftentimes that means a small group, but it doesn't have to. But if small groups are a great way to do that. It's a great way, you don't have to know everything. Being a small group doesn't mean you know the Bible, it doesn't mean you know the faith. It means, hey, I want to I be a good Christian and I would love to do that with other people. And let's get a box of wine and we'll take turns hosting and we'll hang out and we'll talk about our faith and what's going on in life or we'll read a book together or watch a video together. Or maybe it's just a friend in your life that you say, hey, can we just talk about, like, how do I pray? Or what does it mean to forgive my enemies? Or what does it mean to love the poor? Why are Father Brian's masses longer than other priests? Right? Whatever it is, which is true. You'll find that out if you don't know that already. Um, you have, this is, if there's one piece of advice that I can give you, that's it. If you leave RCIA and you don't have something here, you will probably leave the faith. Okay, number two um, is you need some sort of intellectual growth about your faith. Right, we got through basically, we covered all the Catholic faith, completely and totally. Right? No, we scratched the surface. We scratched the surface. There are a thousand different ways to go deeper in your faith. But, and it doesn't mean you have to be an academic. You have to be like, okay, gotta learn Greek. I'm going to learn the faith, I have to learn Greek. No, you don't. But there are more resources available today than there ever have been. The biggest one I just want to recommend is formed.org, which is the Catholic Netflix. Password is on our website. It's in the bulletin. It's free. We pay your subscription. And I feel like most people never take advantage of this. It is amazing. You go back, it'll cover a lot of the things we talked about in our CIA. It'll deepen them. It'll grow your love for them. You'll be a better Catholic, I promise, than if you're watching whatever show on Netflix. By the way, here's a, here's a hint. The first, number one and number two can be combined. <laughs> you can, like, mix and match. Right? Okay, number three is a real prayer life. You have to have a real prayer life. It's the hardest of the three, you got to figure that out. I know it's hard for you to be silent. I know it's harder for you to get up a half hour earlier. I know. But it's worth it. And the only way you'll do it, I've never once had someone not continue their prayer life because of any other reason except they just didn't do it. And that's what happens to most people. So I hope you'll do it. Um, and I know I'm already over more than I said. Second Parish... Right, I'm taking on a second parish. I think you've seen this. I'm not leaving Lords, but um, oh, I always wish I had one more class. You guys are my best advertisement for the Catholic faith, and I mean that quite seriously. Um, you guys are everything that that proves the Catholic faith. Um, 
So my hope for you is just simply that you'll come with me. Like, I need help. And not, not necessarily like setting up chairs or taking them down or whatever, but I need people who love this place and care about it and will say, hey, FB, we're going to build this place with you. We're going to invite people to church. We're going to build community. We're going to build prayer. We're going to make this a center of Catholicism. I need that. Um, okay. I was going to say, we're, if we were planning on staying late, we could take a little break and get a drink or whatever. And then what if we just do open Q&A for any other, Great. like people can sit down and, I mean, we can talk, but I thought that could be a good idea. Yeah, that's great. We might, and keep keep your emails tuned. I thought maybe like one more night this summer, maybe we just do like go meet at like a pub or something. And anyone who wants to come, you know, we'll just go to like the Denver Brew Company or whatever beer we'll company. I think we'll do it in May. I'll work with you and schedule it. Yeah. And then, yeah, the small group thing really fast and then maybe pray if anyone has birthday coming or nothing. Great. Perfect. But the small group things, it's, I just want to gauge who's interested. I've already had people, um, email me and I'm, I will try to work it to the groups that have naturally formed but the idea with that is it wouldn't be intimidating I'm, I'm going to work with Father Brian to think of think of how to do it in a strategic way but we would help you with resources so if someone wanted to lead you'd be more of a facilitator you don't need to have your PhD in the Bible to do it it's more to just create the circle of this group with familiar faces of people you already know so um we can build it together. It's not. I'm not going to just like throw you into a random group if you say you're interested. It'll. I'll work with you so we can figure out a way where it's something you look forward to. But, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to say. And so, yeah, let's just end in prayer. But thanks for all your time for the year. It was so good to see you, and it'll be so fun to see everyone at mass. At mass and here. So just stay up to date with any callers. Well, we should send out like a one pager with you know adoration things you can do to get involved here so we'll we'll work on that and do that together too okay let's pray father son holy spirit lord jesus we praise you and adore you for your resurrection for your redemption uh, for your love lord thank you for these people for everyone here tonight for those online uh, those who couldn't be with us tonight Lord, may you build us up in faith, hope, and love. May you build your church. May you bring redemption to all the world. Uh, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, so feel free to...